The Archdiocese of Chicago is a vibrant and diverse faith community. We celebrate our faith through worship, evangelization, and reaching out to the needy. Welcome to Catholic Chicago. Good morning. Welcome to Catholic Chicago on WNDZ, 750 AM. We are 312-255-8408. We are live today on Catholic Chicago Radio. You can also get us on YouTube.com slash Catholic Chicago, YouTube.com slash Catholic Chicago. We are in the old studio versus the new studio because we have four guests this morning. I'm Father Greg Sackowitz, the rector of Holy Name Cathedral in Chicago, and co-host Mark Teresi, who is the director of our 175th anniversary, 150th anniversary. He's chairing it along with Legacy but, Mark, you do so much. Good morning, Mark. How are you? Very good. Very good. Just so people know, the 175th is a celebration of our faith community. And 150th, the next year, celebration of the cathedral itself, the proper, the, the building itself. So November of this year is the parish. We start to launch it for the full year we celebrate. And then November of 25, 150th for Holy Name Cathedral, right. which was burned down the original church in the Great Chicago Fire right. in October of 1871, and then the dedication happened November 21, 1875, yeah. for the cathedral. Right, and at some point we're going to have a big statue of Father Greg. We're going <laughs> to unveil it. <laughs> a little four inches, <laughs> put it in the parking lot or something. We have a tremendous program lined up here again. 312-255-8408. Mark, we haven't given the phone number in a while because I know. we've been doing a lot of I taping. Know other programs. And great way to begin the program. The USCCB website says ecumenism is the promotion of cooperation and unity among Christians. Jesus Christ founded one church and in the midst of his passion prayed that all may be one. In fidelity to that, the Catholic Church takes part in an ecumenical movement seeking visible unity among the diversity of Christian churches and ecclesial communities. The Week of Christian Prayer for Christian Unity began in 1908 as the Octave of Christian Unity and focused on prayer for church unity and has been celebrated from January 18th to January 25th annually ever since 1908. Joining us in the program today, we have got the sheet here, Dr. Dan Olson, Director of the Office for Ecumenical and Interreligious Affairs, Church Diocese of Chicago, Susan Bedelic, Master Divinity, Associate Director, Office for Ecumenical and Interreligious Affairs, Archdiocese of Chicago, and joining us on Zoom, Dr. John Nilsson, Consultant, Office for Ecumenical and Interreligious Affairs for the Archdiocese, and Dr. Robert Cathy, Professor of Theology Emeritus, McCormick Theological Seminary. Good morning to everybody. How's everybody doing? Good morning. Pretty good. Good. I think we're ready for well, a break after that long introduction. <laughs> Holy mackerel. Yeah. Well, first of all, I know that I'm great friends with uh, Dan and Susan and John and Dr. Bob. I'm not sure we've ever met before. I've heard your name many, many times. But Dan, I have to talk to Dan for a second. Uh-oh. <laughs> I was impressed this year with your Green Bay Packers. Wow. This is the <laughs> first in the radio program that yes. I've been welcomed so warmly. Exactly. Um, and I also want to congratulate the Bears on having two picks in the top ten. 
uh, for next year's draft. <laughs> that is a remarkable achievement. Sorry, boy, I, is being that, nice to me. I'm boy, sorry. is that yeah. diplomatic? Nick, you want to do something? I'm glad San Francisco beat you guys. <laughs> now the, the truth comes off. The truth comes off. You drew yeah. first blood. Right. I was I being I, nice. I know. My, I'm sorry. I apologize. You don't mean it. I can uh, tell. I don't go, <laughs> gentlemen, we, gentlemen, we have a show. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Oh, you're right. Okay, forgot. This is not about sports. <laughs> All right. Dan, we can shake on this. Right on radio. I'll all go right. to confession <laughs> later. Well, first of all, the starting of 1908, we're going back 116 years. Susan, give us the history. I mean, don't give us the whole history in the last 116 years, but why did it begin then? What was going on at that time? Well, that's, um, you know, the ongoing concern for all of us as Christians has been to recognize and honor and begin to know one another in harmony. And it was a particularly uh, intense time in the world that uh, both the Roman Catholic Church and the what is now the Discastery for Promoting Christian Unity and the World Council of Churches, which is the mainline Protestant um, Faith and Order Commission, um, decided that there was um, to get together to pray for Christian unity because the the basis of that is really um, what Christ asked us, what his desire was to that we may all be one. So it comes from John seventeen twenty one, and that was at the heart of 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 that great desire and the really important thing too about this is that it's global it happens mm-hmm. all over the world and even today you can you can look online and see everywhere that that christians are getting together to pray interesting now i'm curious so office of ecumenical and interreligious affairs maybe folks i mean we'll talk about um a lot of things, but one of the things I think people need to know is what is that? What does that mean? How does that impact their life? Let's say here in Chicago as Catholics. Um, I, maybe I could start. Um, well, Christ willed for one church in his final prayer before his crucifixion and death. He, he prayed for unity among his disciples that the world might believe. So it's essential for evangelization, for preaching the gospel, that we present the world with the unity of of Christ. Christ's will is that we become one um, so that the message can be spread. So I think it impacts all of us. Um, I I, I do a lot of work with interchurch families, and maybe we could talk about that later, but it impacts our family situations of where one um, is going to baptize or raise a child if, if the home is with two parents of different Christian churches. Um, so it has impacts well beyond um, just uh, divisions among the church. It impacts families. It impacts lives throughout the world on a daily basis. So, in a sense, it touches all of us. And maybe for a moment before we get into the theme for this year, which is very, very important. Uh, John, you've been very involved in this area for years. Out of curiosity, what brought you to this area in the whole realm of theology? There, I mean, when you think of theology, you think of the Catholic Church, there's so many areas but you are so passionate regarding ecumenism. Maybe for a moment, why? How did that begin in your life? Well, it, 
It's very strange. It began, began with a letter out of the blue from the Archbishop of Hartford uh, inviting me to become a, a theological member of the official dialogue between the Episcopal Church and the Catholic Church in this country. Uh, I knew nothing about it, um, but it sounded like an interesting thing to do. And uh, so for the next 25 years, I served on that dialogue and it was life changing. I mean, genuinely to learn about another church through the witness and the lives and the convictions of the people who belong to that church, um, you begin to see how how important unity is. I mean, as, as John Paul II said in his great encyclical on ecumenism, if you know, the, the extent to which we are divided gives outsiders the impression that Jesus divides people from one another. Mm. He, doesn't bring, he doesn't bring people together. And when you think about <laughs> how that reflects the state of the churches and our general culture in this country, you see, again, the critical importance of this work, not simply for the church's sake, but for the life of the society and the life of the world as a whole. That's interesting. And maybe the same question for you, Bob. Well, I, one of my early influences was uh, reading John Calvin's Institutes in, in a church, Presbyterian Church-related college and discovering uh, Calvin's uh, work to seek Christian unity at the time of the Reformation in the 1500s when the church was fracturing and splintering all over Europe. And part of Calvin's great anxiety was he felt like this fracture could actually destroy Western civilization. He was very anxious about that. And so he labored for unity with the Lutherans. He labored to explain uh, what the uh, reform in Geneva and in some of the other Swiss cities was about. His institutes are addressed to the King of France, a Catholic nation. Uh, and the other one of the other great influences uh, was uh, two two persons I'd like to mention uh, is the president of Princeton Seminary when I was uh, there. Uh, James McCord had studied uh, ecumenical theology and ecumenism and the doctrine of the church in Scotland and was a tireless ecumenist at Princeton Seminary in the late 70s. We had uh, faculty, staff, students, and uh, speakers on campus and guest lecturers from churches from all over the world, Orthodox, Catholic, and the variety of Protestants. Uh, and then in graduate school, I was a student of Jeffrey Wainwright at Union Seminary in New York oh, wow. and then at Duke. He was a British Methodist theologian who was an expert on liturgy. And in 1980, he published a one-volume uh, theology entitled Doxology, The Praise of God in Worship, Life, and Doctrine, where he, he built his theology out of combining liturgies from all the great Christian traditions to show that... Uh, regardless of how you hear the scripture interpreted in the sermon or what the official denomination of the congregation or parish is, when you get into the liturgy, you get into a much deeper field of Christian unity. That uh, There are parts of the liturgy in the Presbyterian Church that are borrowed from other churches and, and that go back uh, many, many ages. And uh, for me, visually, one of one of my great set of images that comes to mind about Christian unity, I had a sabbatical in Beirut, Lebanon, 
in 2010-2011 and spent a lot of time in the variety of Catholic and Orthodox churches in that country uh, with the iconography. Um, in Lebanon, you, you might get the impression, if you didn't know anything about Christianity, that Christianity was really about Mary and this little child sitting on her lap who's repeated in the iconography of both the Maronite Catholics and the Orthodox. Uh, and often in uh, those churches, you would have an image of a dragon. And I remember asking a Protestant scholar I was with, why do you always see that image of the dragon? And he said, in the Middle Ages, that was the Lebanese symbol for their Muslim overlords uh, mm. who required them to pay a tax to be defended by uh, the Muslim empire. And they put that image into their iconography to signify Christ is greater than our overlords. Wow. Uh, and that this was one of the roots of the quest for freedom in among the people of Lebanon. And we took a beautiful field trip to uh, the Kadisha Valley in northern Lebanon, where Lebanese Maronite Christians lived in caves, built monasteries and churches in caves, lived on the side of a, mount, a very steep mountain to not pay that tax to their overlords. So I think uh, these these symbols say, uh, say to me that uh, Christian unity uh, is uh, sometimes a matter of sheer political survival for some people, mm -hmm. social, political, cultural survival. Uh, and so uh, I think that's uh, that's one of the one of the great symbols. One one last uh, <clears throat> uh, influence on me when I was in graduate school. You remember when in El Salvador? This was back in the period of their civil war in the nineteen. 70s and 80s, there were four nuns that were murdered yes. sure. yeah. uh, by right-wing militia in El Salvador. And on the West Coast, uh, there were so many dock workers who were aware of this, who felt a sense of Christian unity with these nuns. They refused to unload the, the ships that came in from El Salvador, of any of their cargo, as a protest against those murderers. And I thought that was a beautiful symbol of, you know, not some kind of organizational movement ecumenism, but ecumenism from the ground up, you know, mm -hmm. people in their own situation taking a symbolic act to say, we, we're at one with the people that you murdered. And we, we protest that, that great injustice and uh, lack of human solidarity. Well, thank you. We'll be back. WNDZ 715. We're going to take a little break. Catholic Chicago, 312-255-8408. And you go to YouTube com slash Catholic Chicago. When we come back, maybe Susan and Dan, let's talk about the theme. Um, uh, the theme of, for ecumenism and our week of prayer, but also how does that theme, how should that theme continue in our lives day to day as we move forward as a family of faith? We'll be back in a few minutes. Please stay tuned. Catholic Charities on Sunday, February 4th for the 2024 Divine Affair, a premier wine tasting event held at Chicago's Union League Club. Sample and purchase wines and craft beers from around the world. 
Attend a wine appreciation or beer tasting seminar while you enjoy gourmet hors d'oeuvres and fabulous desserts. A fantastic silent auction and raffle are included as well. All proceeds benefit Catholic Charities programs and services that help anyone in need throughout Cook and Lake Counties. To purchase Divine Affair tickets and learn about great sponsorship opportunities, visit catholiccharities.net or call 847-226-5697. That's 847-226-5697. year 44 for me teaching. When I started here, there were teachers here that had taught me when I was a student. Now I'm the old person. <laughs> right now, I teach junior high math. I love when kids find what I'm teaching to be fun and they get it. I see that light bulb go off and it's a thrill. People are always amazed. What? what? You're here for 44 years? It's hard for me to believe, frankly. <laughs> I love what I do. Every summer I think, oh, I miss the classroom. Even on the weekends, I think I can't wait to get back on Monday and teach those quadratic equations. <laughs> Shape the next generation of leaders. Teach. Apply today at artchicago.org slash schooljobs. Catholic Charities Loss Program was created more than 40 years ago to help survivors of suicide wherever they are in the grieving process. This nationally recognized program continues to offer a safe, non-judgmental environment where survivors of suicide can find community, direction, and resources for healing after suffering the devastating loss of a loved one. Online and in-person services are available for individuals, couples, children, and families of all faith traditions. To learn more, call 312-655-7283 or email loss at catholiccharities.net. Don't suffer alone. We are here to offer loving outreach to survivors of suicide. Contact Catholic Charities today. back, WNDZ, 7.50 a.m., Catholic Chicago. You can get us at 312-255-8408, or you can go to youtube.com slash Catholic Chicago. We're talking about ecumenism in the week of prayer for Christian unity with Dr. Dan Olson, Susan Fidelic, Dr. John Nielsen, Dr. Bob Cathy. Uh, and before the break, Susan we said, let's talk about the theme, uh, the theme for the week of prayer, but also how that theme should be infused into our daily life as we move forward. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, that's just really key. So every year there's a different theme, and it's chosen by a different community from around the world. So for 2024, the theme is, you shall love the Lord your God 
and your neighbor mm -hmm. as yourself from Luke 10:27. And it was developed by the community the Christian community in Burkina Faso which is in West Africa. Wow. And the community there of Chemin Neuf, which is a French Catholic and ecumenical community of both vowed and religious lay people, mm. chose this theme because they are experiencing a high level of Christian persecution right now. And they hope that this year's prayer theme uh, will foster collaborative efforts in peace building, hmm. both in their country and all around the world, as as ecumenical and Christian communities pray together. How did uh, they get chosen? Well, that comes from um, the World Council of Churches and the Pontifical Discastery um, for promoting Christian unity. So it's it's something that is always uh, a collaborative effort. Mm -hmm. And one of the important things about this theme, which is actually what we call the golden rule, mm -hmm. right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. And it's a it's the golden rule, love your neighbor as yourself, is found in every major world religions. It is in every mm -hmm. scripture, and it is a foundational um, uh point of prayer and, and spirituality in every major world religion. And especially for this one, when we think about it, it's about how our everyday actions toward our neighbors mm -hmm. directly affect peace and our sense of safety and love and care for one another. So we can think about creating peace and peace building in big ways. You know, you can get together with, in your community with different organizations and all of that. But it is really key and important to remember that every moment that we have, every encounter that we have with one another, whether you're passing someone on the street or uh, your neighbor, every encounter is an opportunity for kindness, for grace, mm -hmm. for care. When you say hello to someone on the street, it is acknowledging their existence, and that is a part of loving your neighbors. So infusing this in us now is really key. Which really should be just a part of our lives. Yeah. Not only this week, but all year long. Now, something you said, Susan, that made me trigger this thought. Maybe for all of you, I'll begin with uh, Dan. In all your years of work in this area of ecumenism and now this ecumenical week of prayer, what is the greatest myth you try to dispel and tell people what it is or is not? Because let me preface it this way. I grew up in a home in Park Ridge, 100% you know, Polish background with a, a origin in Catholic mother and father. But my mother's brother, Uncle Ted, would always say when he was a boy growing up in Chicago near Milwaukee Division, Holy Trinity, he was not allowed to go to the YMCA exactly. because the Protestants were at the YMCA. He was not allowed to go, and he was born in 1925. So as a kid, as a teenager, he couldn't dare walk into the Y. So all the work you do today, of course, it's a, a hundred years later, is... The greatest myth you try to dispel, Dan? Well, since I offended you earlier, let me give you two. Um, <laughs> <laughs> first, I, I would say the myth that 
in engaging in conversations with other Christians and pursuing unity, you dilute your faith or that you, you could uh, harm or lose your faith in it. I found throughout my life in this work that I've come to know my Catholic faith much better in those conversations. I've seen great gifts from other Christians that have made me a better Catholic. So that that would be the first one I would say. And the other is I don't – people think they have to be a theological expert to engage in ecumenical dialogue. And what we're talking about with love your neighbor as yourself is a form of dialogue. Um, anyone can do this. It's a dialogue of action, of life. There are different types of dialogue, and I, I, I think some people, some Catholics and others feel, well, I'm not educated enough to engage in this dialogue. Well, your very life is a form of dialogue, mm-hmm. and we're all equipped to, to live out our, our faith in Christ in partnership. And I, so I, some people who try to resist the work and say, I'm not educated enough for that. No, you are. <laughs> you have a life of faith. That is enough. That's very good. Uh, same question for you, John. In terms of what's the greatest myth you try to dispel people in the whole area of ecumenism? Well, I I, <laughs> I, I think the, the myth, uh, the super myth, is that um, we really don't need other Christians. You know, our the Catholic Church has got got everything, got a long history, great traditions, and et cetera, et cetera. We we basically got the whole package, and so we don't need people like Bob, and we don't need people like. Uh, um, you know, Jeffrey Wainwright and James Cone, and we don't need to, you know, our Lutheran neighbor down the street, which is utter nonsense. It's utter nonsense. The, the problem with ecumenism, one of the problems with ecumenism today of the many, is that most of the, a lot of the dialogue has taken place among those experts and is not filtered down to where it infuses the life of parishes and congregations where, where it ought to. And in fact, if, if if there's a growth area for ecumenism, that's where it needs to be now. People need people are ordinary Christians need to connect with one another, and they can in their communities. There are problems and issues that they can work together and express their faith. You know, in, in facing those issues together. Same question for you, Bob. I love, I love these answers. Well, the the primary question that I get. Uh, is, uh, well, you're Presbyterian. If people know what that means, they associate it with predestination. So they think (laughs) Presbyterians are people that believe we're going to heaven and it's just too bad for all the rest of you. (laughs) 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 You weren't predestined from eternity from before you were born. And uh, there there may have been Presbyterians and other people in the Reformed tradition that taught that based on the way they read Calvin. But one of the great revisions in our understanding of that doctrine in the 20th century, Karl Barth, a Swiss Protestant theologian, when he came to that doctrine in in writing his theology, uh, in light of uh, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he said, Jesus Christ is the one who uh, bore God's judgment for us, and Jesus Christ is the one who was raised for all humankind. Uh, to reconcile all humankind to God. And he said, on that basis, we should uh, pray for all, for the salvation of all. We should fight for their human rights, uh, and we should respect and show human dignity to every human being, even the criminals in jail. And he was a frequent preacher in the jail in Basel uh, for the prisoners there. And so in among Presbyterians, I, I think one of the, the great 
part of the impact of ecumenism in the 20th century was the recognition that uh, God's choice for us, God's will to be for us in Christ, isn't just about Presbyterians or about a particular denomination or tradition or communion. Uh, it, the embrace is for all humankind. And in more recent times, uh, we've realized that em- that embrace God's reconciling work extends to nature as well. Uh, so I think that's that's the myth I try to dispel that uh, that we're not <clears throat> we're not the frozen chosen as we're calling <laughs> it. Before we take we're going to take a little break. Before uh, Susan Pedelic, associate director of ecumenical and religious affairs, is going to have to leave us. So I thought maybe a final comment from you, and then maybe we could end this uh, part of our show with the prayer that you brought for us. I would say that finally this ecumenical uh, dialogue, which I've been involved in for many years, has deepened my faith as a Christian on so many ways. It's a tremendous gift, and I also understand myself as a Catholic Christian in new ways. Beautiful. Could you lead us in that prayer? Yes. This is the prayer for the week of prayer of Christian unity. Gracious God, you who are the source of all love and goodness. Enable us to see the needs of our neighbor. Show us what we can do to bring about healing. Change us so that we can love all our sisters and brothers. Help us to overcome the obstacles of division, that we might build a world of peace for the common good, Thank you for renewing your creation and leading us to a future which is full of hope. You who are the Lord of all, yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. 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 WNDZ, 7.50 a.m., Catholic Chicago, 312-255-8408. You can go to youtube.com slash Catholic Chicago. We'll be back in a few minutes. Susan, thank you very much. Beautiful prayer. Thank you, Susan. Join Catholic Charities on Sunday, February 4th for the 2024 Divine Affair, a premier wine tasting event held at Chicago's Union League Club. Sample and purchase wines and craft beers from around the world. Attend a wine appreciation or beer tasting seminar while you enjoy gourmet hors d'oeuvres and fabulous desserts. A fantastic silent auction and raffle are included as well. All proceeds benefit Catholic Charities programs and services that help anyone in need throughout Cook and Lake Counties. To purchase Divine Affair tickets and learn about great sponsorship opportunities, visit catholiccharities.net or call 847-226-5697. 
That's 847-226-5697. I am a seminarian. The church needs compassionate and well-trained priests to help guide each of us through life. What inspires me, what draws me always to the priesthood is continuing to see priests be a beacon of hope for other people. You can play a part in the education of these young men as they prepare for a life of service to others. I want to be that beacon of hope too, and it, it sets my heart on fire. To support our seminarians, make your gift at archchicago.org slash seminarianfund or call 312-534-7959. The Cemetery Ministry is a core ministry of our Catholic faith tied to the corporal works of mercy. It's comforting to know that our Catholic cemeteries are caring for the remains of our loved ones awaiting the resurrection. There are 44 Archdiocese of Chicago Catholic cemeteries willing to help you in your time of loss. Call 708-449-6100 or visit catholiccemeterychicago.org. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837. You're listening to Catholic Chicago. Ahead, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you programs about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Thanks for letting us be part of your morning. Now again, Catholic Chicago. We're back, WNDZ, 7.50 a.m., Catholic Chicago, 312-255-8408. You can go to youtube.com slash Catholic Chicago. We're talking today about ecumenism and that week of prayer for Christian unity. We ended our last segment with a beautiful prayer that Susan Padelic uh, led us in um, about unity, about loving one another, loving yourself. Uh, and Dr. John and Dr. Bob, uh, I, I was wondering, you—, you both are educators. Young people have been involved in your life in terms of education. What about this ecumenism in, in their world? What are your impressions uh, as an educator with young people? Where are what have you learned from them, or what what are your observations in terms of how they see this issue? Maybe Dr. John first, and then Dr. Bob. Well, honestly, they don't care. Oh, in the sense in the sense that they regard these divisions as um, humanly constructed and maintained. What's important for them, in a sense, is, is the heart of ecumenism. What's important for them are the relationships. Mm. And um, as, that, that's what, what they build from. And the ones who are more theologically sophisticated because they've been students of Bob and me, um, <laughs> would, um, would understand that a lot of these theological issues have been sorted out. And so we're sort of waiting for the churches to move, to, to, to take the, the appropriate actions to put those agreements into practice. So um, I, I don't, if you did a survey of, say, graduate students mm -hmm. in theology across the country, um, I bet you would not find more than two or three who would want to make ecumenical theology the focus of, of their future career. It's See. simply, um, in a sense, I think their attitudes 
um, are a, a significant criticism of the way we have gone forward so far. Interesting. How about for you, Bob? Uh, well, I, I was thinking about the lives and experiences of our two children. Uh, our daughter, Laura, uh, when she was in the seventh or eighth grade, she came into our bedroom on Sunday night, and, and both my spouse and I are Presbyterian ministers, and she said, Mom and Dad, I just want you to know I've decided to become an atheist. And then she went to bed. <laughs> so, <laughs> On that note. She, she persisted in that uh, self-presentation until she was in high school. And we took Laura with us to the Barcelona Parliament of the World's Religions that Susan had helped to organize and that Dirk Ficke, uh, the late Greg Dirk Ficke, had helped to organize uh, from the Parliament organization here in Chicago. And traveling with uh, seminarians who were various varieties of Protestants and Pentecostals, uh, and then being in Barcelona with uh, people, 9,000 people from all the different uh, religious traditions around the world, was really a turning point for our daughter. And she wrote about that in her college essays and was uh, very active in the religious life of Grinnell College when she was there. And now she's is uh, she hasn't officially joined, but she's a fellow traveler with the Quakers in Pittsburgh, oh, wow. where she lives. And our son, Paul, uh, he had, uh, when he was in high school, he came to me at the end of 11th grade and said, Dad, I, I read everything they asked me to read for next year. What, what should I read? And I gave him a copy of Jack Kerouac's On the Road. And something a lot of people don't know about Jack Kerouac, uh, his family were French-Canadian Catholics. And when uh, he was associated with the Beat Generation, he meant the search for the beatific vision. That's what he was in search for on the road. And our son read on the road and then read the other Beat poets and discovered they all had tried to practice Buddhism at some point in their lives. And so when he finished college, uh, he had uh, studied Japanese. He had been to Japan and China. And he wondered, are there any Buddhist monasteries here in North America? And so he spent his first summer at a Zen Buddhist monastery in the Carmel Valley Wilderness, uh, not too far from Monterey, California, uh, that uh, is operated by San Francisco Zen Center meditating and cooking uh and he's done this for about two years in his life and so i think for the new generation of young people for me as a young person growing up in charlotte north carolina the ecumenical adventure was meeting catholics and orthodox wow. christians and for my children's generation the ec the ecumenical adventure in, in a sense you might call it it's the greater ecumenism of the world's religions and the united states has the greatest religious plurality of any nation in the history of the world. We have 500,000 Muslims now here in Illinois, but we have the largest Muslim population of any state. Uh, that's really the the growing growing point. And, and one other story I'll, I'll share about our son. When he was in high school, he had three friends who were American Muslims, and they used to go downtown in Chicago to see films they would show in the park system during the summer. And one time they were watching a film uh, it was one of these early 60s romantic comedies. And the two characters on the screen were beginning to kiss and embrace. And, and our son said to his three Muslim friends, wait, he was he was speaking to the people on the screen, wait, leave room for Jesus between you. <laughs> <laughs> the three like the Muslim nun. children went home and told their mother, oh, 
Dr. Kathy's son is so pious. <laughs> 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 He's so devout. That is a, so, that's a so great I think story. it's that kind of dialogue of everyday life that's happening among the young people. Mm-hmm. You know, I find that uh, in listening to everybody here today, we are all seeking to connect the mystery of God with our lives. And yet, you know, isn't it interesting that many people don't like change, don't rock the boat, keep things the same. And the great line is, the only person who really welcomes change is a wet baby. Mm-hmm. They welcome change. You know, because don't rock the boat. Now, this whole thing is being said, last October was historic with the whole synod gathering in Rome, about 450 and the Pope, this whole synod process. Maybe for a moment, Dan, connect, the, 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 make the connection between Christian unity and the ongoing synodal process. Yes. Um, well, the synodal process is, many have called it, the most significant gathering in our church since the Second Vatican Council. And and really, it's it's in part an implementation, a further implementation of the Council and its goals, one of which was the pursuit of Christian unity, one of its principal goals. Uh, so I found it really significant that before the Synod began, at, right outside the front steps of St. Peter's, they organized an ecumenical prayer service. They invited Christian leaders from all around the world, and they prayed for unity in front of the San Damiano cross that they had put up in front of St. Peter's. That was how the Pope chose to begin the Synod. And he said, if we're going to walk together as a church, we have to walk together with other Christians in this journey of faith. That we can't just be a church unto ourselves without being in dialogue with other Christians. Synod meetings then had ecumenical guests in in the chamber halls, were invited at the local level to have conversations with other Christians about how our church could and should be more synodal. We had one here. Bob was a part of that uh, as part of the diocesan phase where we listened to Lutherans, Presbyterians, uh, Episcopal. Like, what, what might the church do to become better and a better symbol of Christ in the world? So I, I think it's following that impulse that the Second Vatican Council called us to, a pursuit of Christian unity as a principal concern. And then what does that mean for today? What do we need to do to make that real? That's good. Let's Beautiful. do this. Let's take a little break. WNDZ 750 AM Catholic Chicago 312255 8408 your YouTube.com slash Chicago. When we come back, something is um, kind of hit my mind, which is how do, how do we, in an ecumenical environment, how do people talk about their relationship with Jesus? I mean, to me, that's key, and it's Jesus. You know, it's that one church that you talked about early on that, that he established he for one. us. Yeah. So we'll be back in a few minutes. Uh, Father Greg Sackwitz, Mark Teresi here. Please stay tuned. Catholic Charities on Sunday, February 4th for the 2024 Divine Affair, a premier wine tasting event held at Chicago's Union League Club. 
sample, and purchase wines and craft beers from around the world. Attend a wine appreciation or beer tasting seminar while you enjoy gourmet hors d'oeuvres and fabulous desserts. A fantastic silent auction and raffle are included as well. All proceeds benefit Catholic Charities programs and services that help anyone in need throughout Cook and Lake Counties. To purchase Divine Affair tickets and learn about great sponsorship opportunities, visit catholiccharities.net or call 847-226-5697. That's 847-226-5697. special. (laughs) I feel great. I got good grades. We've seen a huge surge in our kids now meeting or exceeding grade level. Come check us out. You may have never thought we were an option before. Our school communities provide students with academic excellence and character education in a supportive and stable learning environment. Come see for yourself. Visit artchicago.org slash findaschool. Did you know that Catholic Charities accepts car donations? If you're ready to free up space in your garage and put a stop to all those expenses that go along with owning a car, we will gratefully accept your donation, whether the car is running or not. You choose a pickup time that is convenient for you, and we will make the donation as easy as possible, free of charge. You'll receive a charitable donation receipt as well. We accept all types of vehicles nationwide, and you will know that your donation is made to Catholic Charities, an agency you can trust. To learn more about donating your car, call 877-786-4483. That's 877-786-4483. Thank you. WNDZ 750 AM Catholic Chicago 312-255-8408 or you can go to youtube.com slash Catholic Chicago Dr. Dan Olson, Director Office of Ecumenical Religious Affairs for the Archdiocese Ecumenism in the Week of Prayer for Christian Unity How can we make it a year of prayer for Christian Unity? Mm-hmm. I, I advocate every day should be a day for prayer for Christian Unity um, and I'm really drawn. Our, our office gets um, calls just out of the blue, but with regularity. Uh, we're interested in Christian unity. Mm-hmm. What do we do? From a, maybe a deacon or a pastoral, a lay pastoral leader or a pastor, they'll call and say, "Well, we want to start something. What do we do?" And we often say, "You know, meet the people around. Who's around you? Who are your neighbors?" Um, you could plan a prayer service and invite them to it, but invite them to the planning. Don't just invite them to something you've organized. Uh, maybe you want to do a joint project together to care for creation. Maybe you want to open a soup kitchen. Look for those opportunities organically to expand your, your web of relationship at the local level. Um, and involve, again, involve others in the planning is really essential to, to get buy-in. To, to develop the relationship from the, the outset. Because if you bring to them 
oh, here's a, a program we've developed. Would you like to join us? You can read this reading. You can. It's not the same level right. of involvement. You're absolutely right. So I, those are the things that, that excite me. But you don't need to wait for this week to do that. Well, if people want to any con- time of year, any time of the year is but a great time to pray for Christians. You had mentioned your office. If people want to contact you about either brainstorming or even directing toward resources, how do they get a hold of you or or Susan? Um, they they can call our office. I, I think. Um, that, that's an easy way. The EIA at archchicago.org is our uh, email address. One more time for the email. EIA at archchicago.org. Uh, it's our general email they could send to, and w- we respond and we check that regularly. Um, the, phone number? The phone number is 312. <laughs> I don't use this that, that often. Um, 534. <laughs> Five three two five. One more time. Three one two. Three one two. Yeah, all together. Three, Let's all do it. Three one two. Five three four. Five three two five. Beautiful. It's, it's our general number. Beautiful. And now, along those very same lines for uh, Bob and for John, maybe begin with Bob. Is what are the ongoing challenges as we pursue Christian unity? And then Bob, along those lines, what are your hopes? Um. Well, the. Uh, I was uh, reminded by Father John Palakowski yesterday, we're coming up on, um, is it um, 1800, 1700 years since the Nicene Creed was formulated at 325 uh, mm-hmm. at Nicaea, uh, <clears throat> uh, the, uh, the most ecumenical of all Christian creeds. And a number of years ago in the Christian Scholars Group for Christian-Jewish Relations, I was part of a group is working on a project of if we were going to to write a new Nicene Creed for the 21st century, what would we say and include? And one of the things that we noticed in the Nicene Creed, in all its versions and translations, the Jewishness of Jesus was erased in the Nicene Creed. Uh, you can't avoid that when you read the Gospels in the New Testament. So if we were to restore to our use of the Nicene Creed, the fact that Jesus, uh, the disciples, his mother Mary, they were all Jews, first century Jews. Uh, what difference would that make to ecumenism? And the the second the second um, uh, item I'd want to mention in relation to that is I think the great ecumenical challenge on the ground here before us in Chicago is how do we receive and welcome and care for the asylum seekers? Yeah and the refugees and the migrants who are being dumped on our doorstep by the state of Texas and Florida. Uh, that to me seems, you know, if, if I if I were to imagine, you know, what would Jesus be doing in, if he were physically present with here, with us in Chicago today as a human being, I think he would be caring for the refugees, the asylum seekers and migrants. That's beautiful. Same question for you, John, about the ongoing challenges and your hopes in this whole area of ecumenism? Well, I, I would single out two ongoing challenges. Um, one is uh, the divisions over ethical issues. Um, it, it's hard to uh, hard to sort those out. Those, those are pretty thorny, and they, they affect people's lives intimately. Um, and there's uh, sometimes a sense that you know an ethical disagreement necessarily means a church dividing issue and I, I'm not sure that's the case so the ethical issues is one category 
The second is, I think that, you know, all the established mainline churches are experiencing problems uh, that, you know, might go into the, the, the category of decline. You know, and if we look at um, a, a simplistic uh, analysis of organizations, they have to maintain themselves and they have to carry out a particular mission. And I think right now, so many of the churches, our own included, are focused on maintenance. Let's let's keep things together and, and try and grow. And the notion of looking outside ourselves or cooperating with other people, you know, is just not on the on the radar screen, you know, from from day to day. So um, those are, and, and that's something that's not totally within our control. But we we can be thinking more creatively about that. Um, and to get back to Mark's comment just before the break, what does Jesus have to do with this? Without without a relationship to Jesus, people are inevitably going to mistake unimportant things for important things and, and vice versa. It's only that relationship with Jesus that's going to enable us to focus on the essentials that can then be the basis for unity going forward. Yeah, that's very important. Beautiful. In fact, um, two weeks ago, Sister Katie, uh, at our place, ran a retreat, a women's retreat. There are 25 folks. Now, I, I did a little music before the retreat, so I was blessed among women to be there just for that part. But they, why were they there? Every one of them talked about wanting to deepening their relationship with Jesus. And I thought, wow, we just brought them together to allow them in a prayerful public forum to say that, mm-hmm. to say that. And to affirm. Yeah. Now, Dan, you had talked before about uh, one of the doctors here was a professor of yours, and and I heard you were a star student. But you said, but what you said was ecumenism. You had you were drawn to it. Right. Well, why? A- and were you a good student? Well, you'd have to ask the John. others about that. I, I would well. like to say so. Um, <laughs> but I, I was a bit of an outlier in John's description. I think. <laughs> the one or two that came to him with an interest in this. Mm-hmm. And it really grew out of my experience working in a parish before going to graduate school. Uh, I was part of the local ecumenical council. I got to know Presbyterians and Lutherans, uh, Episcopal. Was this back in high school, you said? After college. Oh, after, after college. So I took about three years out of college. Then I went back to grad school. And in the interim, I worked in a parish outside of Milwaukee. But even more foundationally, it was working with couples, one of whom was Catholic and one who was often Lutheran in, the, in west, uh, west of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or but mainline Protestant mainly, uh, hearing their stories, their, their struggles with the impact of Christian unity on their relationship, but them talking about how much they loved Christ, they loved their spouse, and the churches were making it more difficult for them to live that out. Yeah. They couldn't share communion together, they were told. They couldn't baptize the child collectively with the two ministers because you're baptized into one church. In other words, all of these um, challenges pastorally that our divisions cause, it just didn't sit well with me. Mm-hmm. And it still doesn't for, for good reason. That, that has led me to um, work at this work of Christianity for many years. I think we need to begin to think of the churches as the problem, not individual couples who decide to marry. And if we don't see Christian disunity as a problem, we'll never fix it. We mm-hmm. never go to the doctor if we don't think we're ill. And there's something wrong with us. So we need the, the good doctor, Jesus, to help with this. 
That's a great way to put it. In just the last couple of minutes, of, first of all, with John, John, what would be a, like a closing remark you'd like to make for all our listeners today? Well, there was a suburb uh, of Chicago, which will here remain unnamed, that had as its slogan, Village of Churches. And they put that slogan up as a point of pride. And every time I passed that particular sign, I thought, no, no, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a sign of shame. That, that's a, a public acknowledgement of our failure. Because our divisions, continuing divisions, contradict the unity that we already have. And so we're misrepresenting Jesus, his cause. We're misrepresenting the nature of the church. And it's time we stop doing that. How about for you, Bob? Closing remark. Sure. The the best uh, experience of Christian unity I have each month, uh, my spouse and I go to Ascension Catholic Church in Oak Park the first Friday night of each month for Tizay prayer. Yeah. It's a form of prayer developed in France under the Nazis so Catholics and Protestants could pray together. Uh, and on the, this in February, uh, March, and April, that same church uh, on uh, the third Thursday evening of each month, they have a special service, uh, songs of uh, healing and prayer, uh, where ecumenically we gather. There's an ecumenical team of ministers, and people can come forward uh, for uh, being to be anointed with oil, uh, to uh, have the laying on of hands and prayer for healing either for themselves or for others. And uh, Christians from all over this metro region, uh, and I, John and I have met there at uh, these services, uh, uh, come together. Uh, and the world uh, today is in need of much healing when we think about the loss of life in Gaza and Israel and Ukraine uh, and the impact of the pandemic. Uh, and so that... Uh, those services organized by David Anderson, who's the church uh, musician and choir director, and their, his choir, and that particular Catholic parish, that's when I really feel Christian unity each month. Well, amen on that note. I want to thank in a very special way our guest today, Dr. Dan Olson, Susan Pedelic, Dr. John Nilsson, Dr. Robert Cathy. Thank you for joining us. The program was a very fast-moving hour. Mm-hmm. Special thanks to co-host Mark Teresi. It's and an honor Great to be. work of our producer-engineers, Michael May, Brian Hockey, Hitman Brock. To all our listeners, may God bless all of you. We pray for Christian unity that we all may be one and love one another. God bless. Have a great day. Join us every Monday through Friday at this time for Catholic Chicago. You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, archchicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. And please connect with Catholic Chicago on social media.